Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. Good morning, church. Good morning, everyone. Gathered here in Baker over in the sanctuary, maybe tuning in live stream online, maybe watching this years from right now. I can tell you it's a beautiful day in Chambersburg, early November, isn't it? What a great day, great fall day. My name is Pastor Jody, and I've been here three years. Today, I started the first Sunday of November. It's crazy to think. Three years have flown by. I know, right? God is good. Where does where time go? So we are making our way through the Gospel of John uh, today. We come to chapter 20. If you have your Bible, maybe you can pull it up on your phone. If not, that's okay too. I would invite you to just listen. I've been making a point every Sunday through John to just read the text so that we hear it, hear it in its entirety without uh, commentary, if you will, and then we'll come back and really dig in and, and think about what, uh, what John has written for us. But just to hear the Word of God, John 20, verses 1 through 18. Early, on the first day of the week, Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, that's John, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and John started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Some translations say rolled up or folded in its place. Finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. For parenthetically, John tells us they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. His faith was based solely on what he saw right there. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, Mary... Magdalene stood outside the tomb crying. She obviously had followed them back to the tomb area after having run to tell them. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, one at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She did not realize that it was him. He asks her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? 
Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus simply said to her, Mary. She turned around toward him. She cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Oh, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with this news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord, church. He is risen. Indeed, this is, this is resurrection, right? This is Easter. This is Sunday morning faith. This is the text that, uh, that we go to, that we look at really every year at, at Easter time when this happened and at the time in the springtime. But this is holy scripture that, that recounts for us the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And I want, I want us to understand as we really dig into John's account, I want to be very kind of true, if you will, to what John wants us to see here. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other three Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just to say this, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called, this is a $10 seminary word, the synoptic gospel. Syn, S-Y-N, which means together. Optic means to look at. It literally means that you can look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of as together in a way because they're often very similar to each other. Whereas John is not a synoptic gospel because John's gospel is very different. He tells almost entirely different stories. He has, in some ways, a different purpose in writing. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written probably in around the 50s, 60s AD, all right? Middle first century, about 20 to 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead. John didn't write his gospel until about 30 to 40 years later right in the late end, in the 90s likely, of the first century. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already been circulating as gospels, as documents where people could look at and see the accounts of the resurrection. But John, as we see here actually later in chapter 20, he has a singular purpose in retelling this account. Okay, First of all, he was an eyewitness. He witnessed these things. He was right there, really the first to believe that Jesus was indeed alive. But this is why John wrote this gospel. It's why we're, we just read it right here and right now. And it is to move each and every one of us, this is his purpose, to belief and faith. To believe that this is true, to believe that Jesus is alive, and to have faith in our hearts that not only is Jesus alive, but that he is here right now and providing each and every one of us a, a completely different quality of life. How do I know that? Well, we see in John 20, verses 30 and 31, right at the end of this chapter, John gives us his purpose statement for the whole gospel. Jesus performed many other signs 
in the presence of his disciples, John says, that I have chosen not to write about in this book, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, you can look at those Gospels. I'm choosing to, to, to select out a, a select few accounts. And in telling you these things, even recounting the day of resurrection, I'm writing these things so that you might, what? Believe. Two things. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that second of all, you would believe, that, that in your belief, rather, you would experience life in His name. Life in His name. So we see here, as we dig into to what John tells us about the resurrection, we see that it was early on the first day of the week, Sunday morning. This is why we gather every Sunday morning to worship. Uh, for 20 years, I was a youth pastor, and I think I maybe have told you this. I would, every Sunday morning in Sunday school, I mean, the, the Lord bless John and Matt. I don't know if Matt's in this service. I think he's in the next. These are our youth pastors. And uh, you guys, I stood in front of middle schooler and high school students every Sunday for 20 years on Sunday morning. And I will tell you, it is no easy task. Because you look into the eyes of these middle schoolers and, and high schoolers, and, and let me kind of show you how they generally look at me. <laughs> and I will say to them, how are you doing? How are you doing today? And you know, generally, one word, 87% of the time, high schoolers and middle schoolers give me one answer on Sunday morning. You know what that answer is? Tired. Come on. How you doing? Tired. And I would say, come on, you guys. It's Sunday morning. You know what happened on Sunday morning? And they would say, what? <laughs> I don't know. I can tell you what happened last night. I didn't get to bed. And Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday morning. And... Then we'd get into the lesson. So, <laughs> early on the first day of the week, this is when this happened. This is why we gather on Sunday morning every week. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and she sees that the stone is removed from the entrance. Matthew tells us that this was at dawn. Mark indicates that by the time that they got to the tomb, it was just after sunrise. Luke tells us it was very early in the morning. So prior to the sun even coming up, John indicates Mary, with some other ladies, were told that joining him were Matthew, Mark, and Luke indicate that Mary, the mother of James, was there. Salome was there. Joanna was there. There were some other women. In fact, even John indicates Mary saying, we don't know where they have put him. So Mary wasn't alone this morning, but John really chooses to focus on Mary. Mary Magdalene and her presence there. And we're also told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that these ladies were bringing anointing spices and oils and other things, it was very customary. Back then, they didn't embalm a body. And, and so, in order to honor a dead body, they would, they would anoint them and wrap them in, in linens and spices. And I suspect that these ladies might not have been aware that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had already taken care of that right before sundown on Friday afternoon. 
Because here they are coming. They had to then wait through Saturday, which is the Sabbath. And it was only till early Sunday morning that they could then go. And here they are trying to even get into the body of Jesus. We're told in Mark that they, they didn't even know how they were going to roll the stone away. And this is a massive, multi-hundreds and hundreds of pounds stone. They, didn't, they hadn't even worked that out. We just know that early in the morning, out of their love for Jesus, they wanted to anoint him and honor his body in this way. They get there, Mary gets there, and the stone is rolled back. So she comes running to Simon Peter. I, I love that because we know that the last time we saw Simon Peter, he was denying that he even knew Jesus. And, and I, I just, to me, it just jumps out that even a couple of days later, after Simon Peter had such a horrible night in, in, in grief and shame because he denied Jesus, he's still the first one, and, and as well as John, who's there with him. And she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. You see, the last thing on their minds, get, we, I, I want us to understand this, the last thing on Mary's mind and the disciples' minds was that Jesus was resurrected. In fact, Mark tells us, she, Mary, went and told those who had been with him, the disciples, who were mourning and weeping, and when they heard it, the disciples, they did not believe it. There's several things that I want us to just notice. I think they're important to understand as we read through this text. First of all, nobody believed the resurrection was going to happen. They weren't projecting on to this event their own idealized version of what might happen. Okay, that's not what was going on. Nobody, John didn't believe, Peter didn't believe, Mary, the other women, the disciples, nobody believed that Jesus would rise from the dead. And the answer is obvious because it doesn't happen. This doesn't happen. Now, yes, Jesus had raised three people from the dead by commanding that there was a widow's son, there was Jairus' daughter, there was Lazarus. Three times Jesus had raised someone from the dead, but now Jesus is in the tomb, and it's sealed, and it's covered, and it's dark, and he's dead. It's the third day. This doesn't happen. This was not on anybody's radar screen. Second of all, I want us to understand that hearing that it would happen, for whatever reason, didn't convince them. When I, when I say that, keep your finger there. Look with me very quickly back to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, I, I just want you to understand as well that Jesus had been explicit about the resurrection with his disciples. I mean, he couldn't have been more clear. Over and over and over again, look at Mark chapter 8, uh, verses... Um, let me put these passages up on the screen. Uh, verses 31 to 33, this is right after Simon Peter. Jesus asked him, who do you think I am? Peter says, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God. He then began, verse 31, Jesus did, to teach the disciples that he must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Right? Bam. He spoke plainly about this. Peter even takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. Stop saying that, Jesus. Stop telling us that this is going to happen. He doesn't want to believe it, doesn't want to hear it. 
Jesus, in fact, says, get behind me, Satan. You, you don't have in mind the things of God. Then look over at chapter 9, verse 30. In fact, my heading in the NIV says, Jesus predicts his death a second time. It says, they left that place, passed through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were. He was teaching his disciples. He said, here we go, the Son of Man, that's himself, throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospels, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. But, verse 32, they didn't understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him. <laughs> they didn't know what he meant. Look over now at chapter 10. Verse 32, they were on their way up to Jerusalem. Jesus was leading the way. The disciples, for whatever reason, I never have understood why, they're astonished, and those who followed were afraid. There's, there's like a movement here. But again, Jesus takes the 12 aside. He tells them exactly what's going to happen. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him, and three days later, he will rise again. You see, even though Jesus had been so clear with these guys what would happen, this was a message that, for whatever reason, I don't know, went in one ear and out the next, out the other. I believe maybe it's possible that God even kind of shielded their minds from fully getting this, why I'm not quite sure, but, but as they experienced the resurrection, this was not something that was on their radar. Thirdly, not even knowing the Old Testament led them to believe in the resurrection. John chapter, go back to chapter 20, John chapter 20 verse 9, we see John telling us in parentheses, verse 9, that they still, we still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Throughout the Old Testament, there were indications not only of His death and the cross, but His resurrection, Psalm 16.10. Nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Right? That's one of numerous prophecies in the resurrection. So the reality is that as Mary is there, as Peter is there, as John is there, as they are seeing the empty tomb, these were two men and a woman particularly that it, it wasn't on their radar screen that Jesus would rise from the dead. That's important. They weren't projecting on this event their own version of events. They didn't see this coming. And yet, John and Mary walked away from the empty tomb completely transformed. That's reality. They walked away from the empty tomb completely changed by what they saw and by what they heard. John, we see in the way John tells us this account firsthand, he was transformed. He came to, to, to a, a completely different level of faith by what he saw. And Mary, by what she heard. Let's look first at John, verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple, were, I've pointed out in some other passages that for whatever reason, John never calls himself John. He's always the other disciple, the beloved disciple, or the one that Jesus loved. 
But it's clearly him. There's no doubt in my mind and most biblical scholars. This is John. So Peter and John started for the tomb after hearing from Mary that the body was gone. Jesus wasn't there. Both were running, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Now, again, I don't know, so much we don't understand, but John wanted us to know he was faster, all right? That's the bottom line. (laughs) He wanted us to know that he got there first. First on the scene. But interestingly, I think kind of quite possibly in line with his demeanor versus the demeanor personality of Peter. Peter lagged behind. And, and yet when Peter got there, when John got there, he didn't go in. He stops at the entrance to the tomb and looks in but doesn't go in. But then Peter, verse 6, came along behind him, went straight into the tomb. So he barges in, much like I think his personality. He then, Peter, sees the strips of linen lying there. These were the linen strips that Nicodemus and Joseph on Friday night, right before sundown, had wrapped, mummified Jesus' body. Wrap, 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 caked on uh, pounds and pounds of oils and various kinds of liniments and pure nard and, 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 and scents that, that wrapped them. We're told that it was over 70, 80 pounds worth of linen and spices and, and things that they had wrapped Jesus, literally mummified Jesus' body and then had taken a cloth and, and specifically wrapped it around Jesus' head. So when Jesus had been laid in that tomb on Friday Late afternoon, he was literally like a mummy with 80 to 100 pounds of wrapping and oils and and, uh, different kinds of liniments that were on him. And yet, Simon looks in, he sees all of this stripping of linen. Just probably yards and, I mean, think about how many yards and yards and yards and yards of linen stripped would have been there to make up all of this poundage to to fully mummify a body. There they are lying there. We don't know exactly where they lay. John doesn't tell us. Peter doesn't tell us. I've kind of gone back and forth, honestly, in my mind as I've tried to visualize this event. Did Jesus, in a spiritual sense, in a resurrected body sense, just come out from, come out of that, of that wrapping much like it might seem he walked through doors into, you know, into the upper room. I, I don't know. Did, did that happen? Or, or is Peter telling us here, John telling us through Peter, that both of them kind of saw them unwrapped and lying there? I, I, honestly, I don't know. And Bible experts are kind of on both sides of this, to be, to be honest with you. But however it was, there are these strips of linen. And there is the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. 
Now, this is a moment as John is there taking all of this in. And what does it say? It says he saw and believed. His faith was not based upon what Jesus had told him earlier. His faith was not based upon his preconceived notions. His faith was not based, we see in verse 9, upon Old Testament prophecy. His faith was based in that moment on the fact of the resurrection. On what he saw before him. I just, as I dug into this, what didn't he see? Well, first of all, he didn't see Jesus. Jesus was not in that tomb. Second of all, he didn't see angels. Angels were part of the account when we see Mary sticking her head in to the empty tomb here in a, a little while. But John and Peter didn't see angels, nor did they see any other what I would call miraculous things. They see, well, what did they see? They saw a stone that had been rolled away. They saw no body in the tomb. They saw linen wrappings in either a pile or or, you know, just kind of unwrapped, and they saw a headcloth that other translations say, it says separate, but it could be also translated folded up or rolled up. And John is processing this. Okay, if someone had stolen the body, there is no way they would have taken the time in the dark to unwrap him. With these yards and yards and yards and yards. No, that would not have happened. There is no way they would have taken the time to take his head cloth and lay it there, fold it up, roll it up, however it was, and place it right where it had been. There is no body. The stone is rolled away. Strips of linen are lying there, and the head cloth is folded up and rolled in its place. He saw these things, and it says he believed. I believe, clearly, this moment when John takes all of this in, and I want you to understand, this is me and you, okay? John is not some holier-than-thou, you know, apostle yet. He's me and you. He's taking all of this in. He has no understanding of Scripture, no preconceived notion, not even what Jesus had told him had sunk in. Hello? I mean, that's us. That's, that's what I want us to see here. John is us. And John is seeing an empty tomb, and he sees this, and he believes. He believes. I know this is kind of an elementary physical prop here, but just in that moment, the lights went on for him. There was a moment in time when he right then and there believed. He believed that Jesus was alive. He took it all in. And he came to that belief. And then Mary. It wasn't just John that came to faith. Mary is there as well. We see down in verse 11. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She, as I mentioned, as I read it, had, she had seen the empty tomb. She didn't go in. She runs back, tells Peter, tells John. They hoof it back to the tomb. She obviously followed along with them. Now we don't hear record of the other women at all. Mary is there now with them. They go in. They see what they see. They leave. I have to believe that John, when it says they went back to their homes, I can tell you the first place John would have gone, and that's to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Jesus from the cross had already 
united them in, in an adoption sort of a, a way. And, 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 and I believe without a doubt that John would have gone to tell Mary. We're not sure where Peter went, but there lingers Mary. And she is just, she still doesn't understand. She's standing outside the tomb. She's weeping. As she weeps, she finally gets up the courage to bend over and look in. And she sees two angels in white, seated where the body had been, one at the head, one at the foot. They ask a very interesting question. Woman, why are you crying? What do you mean, why am I crying? She doesn't believe. They've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they have put him. Again, just to reinforce the reality, the fact that nobody saw this coming. This wasn't in their minds. At this, she turns around and she sees, well, Jesus right there outside the empty tomb. He had lingered. He was in the area, standing there. She didn't know it was him. Mostly because she in no way expected it to be him. But we also do know from Scripture that, that the resurrected state of Jesus was, was different. When the last that she had seen him on the cross, he was beyond recognition. Bloodied, battered, bruised. And, and as a resurrected body, he's now back to his youthful, healthy self, if you will. She doesn't recognize him. He asks her, woman, why are you crying? Second time she's asked this. I love this question. Who are you looking for? Who are you? That's a question, John. He keeps coming back. Who are you looking for? What do you, what do you, what do you want? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she says, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus says to her, I love this, just simply Mary. Mary. He just says her name. And in speaking her name, she turns around and cries out in Aramaic, Teacher, Rabboni. She, in that moment, again, just not to oversimplify this, but in that moment, the lights went on for her. She was transformed in that moment by believing that this is Jesus. You see, Mary saw angels and even saw Jesus. But it wasn't until she heard the voice of Jesus calling her name that she believed. John wants us to know that none of these people had a preconceived notion of the resurrection. John wants us to know that they weren't Bible experts on this topic. John wants us to know that even based on what they had heard before, it didn't lead them to believe in that moment that it was what they saw and what they heard right there at the empty tomb that they came to faith, that the lights went on, that they were transformed in that moment. I want you to know this gives all of us kind of hope. There's so many people, I think, that look back at this with this sort of a version of, of the resurrection. Well, that's not me. I, you know, they, they were Bible scholars. These were apostles. No, these were me and you looking at the evidence, hearing their name, and living and being, being coming alive in Christ, transformed through faith in that moment. That's what I want us to see and hear. John wants us to hear, he wants us 
This is getting back to the purpose of the gospel. To the reason John writes. John wants us. Right here, right now. Regardless of your background. Regardless of what you understand about the Old Testament. Regardless of what you know about the Bible. Regardless of what you think you've heard. Regardless of of what you've done. John wants us right here and right now to hear and see Jesus for who he is. And he wants us to understand that there are, in essence, two kinds of faith. I get this back out of verse 20, verse 31, where it says, these things are written that you would, first of all, believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. I'm going to tell you right now, there is no greater evidence in the history of the world that Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah than the empty tomb. There is no greater evidence. He was alive. He came alive. He rose from the dead. These things are written so that you will believe that. And second of all, that by believing, you may have experience right here, right now, every day, life in his name. You see, salvation is not just a one and done kind of a thing that doesn't change our lives. There are two kinds of faith that I I think John wants us to grab a hold of. First of all, there is saving faith. Second of all, there is what I will call daily faith, experiencing the, the presence of God in our lives every day. Saving faith that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. That is saving faith. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, That if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. That's saving faith. That is coming to this text, to what John tells us and and, and, and understanding that this is, is true, that he is the Son of God, the Messiah, that he died on the cross for my sins, that I am saved eternally. This is eternal life, but there is also what I would call daily, what I'm calling daily faith, that by believing you may have life in his name every day, right here, right now, not just a moment in time faith, but everyday faith. Saving faith is rooted in the belief that Jesus is alive, resulting in eternal life. Daily faith, right here, right now, it's rooted in the belief That yes, Jesus is alive and that he knows and loves you. That he's with you. That to me is exactly what John is talking about when he talks about experiencing life in his name. Let's understand this. You are never alone. That as you go through each and every day, and this is again why I, this simple little illustration, but I I want us to grab a hold of this. When we are in a moment of darkness, when we're a moment of desperation, when we're tempted to give in to that sin that we give into over and over again, perhaps anger is raging up within us or frustration or depression, whatever that is, this is abundant life that we in this, in those moments every day that the light would go on That we would choose to remember that we would think that Jesus is not only alive, but that he is with me. May the God of hope, Paul writes, fill you every day 
with whatever you're going through, with all joy and peace as you trust in him. That's what John wants us to understand. That's what John is calling us to, is resurrection faith, knowing and believing that Jesus is alive. And then he adds this, just as I conclude. Right at the end of this chapter, John also then says, Jesus said this actually to Thomas. He said, because you have seen me, Thomas, because you've put your hands in my, in my hands and felt where I was pierced, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. That's us. I, I want to get out of the way and I want you to hear John's passion for you right now and Jesus' passion for you right now because he is saying the same thing to you that he said to Mary outside that empty tomb. He's saying your name. He knows you. He loves you. He created you. You are not alone. Whatever you're going through, listen to me. Jesus loves you. He is alive and he wants to fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. Lord Jesus, we come to you right now. We come to this empty tomb. We listen to this evidence, to what John has written for us. And Lord, we are all faced with a choice. Much like John and Mary and Peter and really truly every person throughout history faced with a choice. What do we believe about you, Jesus? What do we believe? Do we believe that maybe you are a good teacher? Maybe, maybe not. Do we believe that you really rose from the dead? Lord Jesus, might we search our own souls and hearts right now? And Lord, maybe for the first time right now, after hearing John's words to us and your spirit pressing in on our hearts, we say, I believe. I believe this. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that you are the Son of God. And Lord Jesus, I am so grateful. We are so grateful for the promise that if we believe in our hearts that you rose from the dead and confess with our mouths, Jesus is Lord, we are saved. And Lord, thank you not only that do we receive eternal life, but abundant life every day as we face the struggles and temptations of life. Lord, help us. Be with us. Speak to us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be filled with joy and peace. Lord Jesus, we confess that our lives sometimes feel like broken vessels, scattered, don't, pieces all, don't all fit together. And yet by your grace, Lord, as we're going to sing in a moment, by your grace, we have been healed, put together, and given life. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services. We look forward to seeing you there.